When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today, Mary Kay Cabot and I are joined by PFF's lead draft analyst, Mike Brenner. Mike tells us a whole bunch of names that we should know for the Browns at number 44, at number 78. We throw some names at him, get his opinion on a bunch of players. This is an opportunity here about two weeks out from the draft for you to really get caught up on what you need to know about the Browns coming up when they go on the clock. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you got to be. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Become one of our text subscribers. Get that daily newsletter delivered to your inbox and get access to those exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. Just go to that page, click the blue banner at the top, get info, get signed up. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. And then on the other side, it's going to be Mike Renner joining us. And now we welcome on PFF's lead draft analyst, Mike Renner. Uh, now, Pro Football Focus has launched a really special project with the projected number one overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, titled Hutch. It's anywhere you listen to podcasts and on PFF's YouTube channel, so be sure to check out Hutch. It's a story that dives into Aiden's childhood, early years at Michigan, and his incredible 2021 season. Mike, I want to ask you about that maybe a little bit later here, but uh, first of all, thanks for coming on. I oh, appreciate you guys having me on. Sadly, no more first round pick to talk about. So we'll have to <laughs> dive deep here. Well, you know what, Mike? There's always plenty to talk about in Cleveland, Ohio, when it comes to the Browns, as you know very well. Uh, so we would kind of like to start out with the hot topic of the week. And that is, of course, Baker Mayfield, you know, coming out for the first time and, and speaking uh, publicly about the Cleveland Browns. Um, Baker was such a, you know, such a, a hot topic for you guys and such a, a analytics darling when he came out in 2018. What went wrong for Baker Mayfield? We'll start with that. And then we want to move into what do you think about Deshaun? But let's start out with Baker. That's one I've pondered on and looked at his tape a lot, trying to figure out what went wrong, like you said, because he's had one of the strangest career arcs of any quarterback I can remember. I mean, how many quarterbacks in NFL history have truly like peaked in terms of how they looked as a rookie. And I think that's how you have to view his career at this point. Cause that was when he was the most consistent. That's when he, you know, was the most successful in terms of attacking down the football field, the things that actually look like a franchise quarterback. That was when he was at his best was as a rookie and really hasn't regained that form since. And even when, you know, back end of 2020, when he was playing well, it was more, game manager and not making mistakes and maybe just going above and beyond at times, but never really had that put the team on your back mentality and play style that we saw at Oklahoma that again, we saw as a rookie at times. So I still believe that there's something more there, but uh, I mean, all the, I think his sort of the interview he gave this week about, you know, 
is really indicative of his struggles and that he listened too much to outside noise. He got too caught up in uh, the chatter around him in the booze and all that stuff that that actually ended up affecting him and affecting his development. And, you know, we've discussed this. It feels like the narrative on Baker has really swung in the extreme, the other direction from going back to that rookie year when everyone was really excited about him. Um, I kind of agree with you. I still think there's something there. What, what do you think Baker Mayfield can still become in this league if he finds the right situation? Yeah, it's, to me, like, I would rather have him this next year than Carson Wentz and some of these other guys that teams are now tabbing as their starters to be. It's there's still talent there. And even, you know, even if you are just getting the guy that we saw in 2020, which was probably the last time I played good football and, you know, can somewhat throw last year out the window because injuries really did change who he was and how he played the game. But I still think that he can be a, I'm not going to say he's ever going to be, you know, the, the starter he was promised. I'm never going to say he's ever going to be a top five to 10, you know, even entering the Deshaun Watson conversation of how he's performed. But I think he can be like a Derek Carr. You know, I think he can be a guy who that if you, everything's right around him, you can run a top five to ten offense in the NFL or if a lot of things are right around him. So I, I do think there is still some untapped potential there. And hopefully this whole saga ends up being a wake-up call to him and what he needs to do uh, to become that guy. Dan and I were having this debate uh, before you hopped on here. Uh, now, obviously, Baker has an $18.86 million guaranteed salary for next year. Uh, so there's that huge issue for why he still mm-hmm. hasn't found a new home yet. And then there is also uh, some of the, you know, maturity issues. So my question to you is, uh, do you think that both of those things are a factor? And if so, if you had to put a percentage on them, and, and I guess where I'm going with this is if the money were not an issue, do you think there are plenty of teams that would still take a chance on him, even though he does have some of these personality flaws, let's call them? I think the bigger thing is timing, truthfully, at this point is the issue. I don't think the 18 million would have been a tough pill to swallow for a lot of quarterback needy teams. It's just all the quarterback needy teams sort of ended up getting a guy. And really the only real clean fit for him in terms of team that needs them, team that could use them is in their division. You know, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's the only really true one left, and you're not going to make that trade in the division, even if it might actually behoove you because you need to get that $18 million off the books if you're the Cleveland Browns. You trade them, it comes off the books. You cut them, it doesn't come off the books. It's staying there on your cap. So uh, I think they are going to ultimately trade them, but it's going to take – they may even be sending a pick along with him to get them traded because they need to free up that cap space. That's going to help them long-term and just basically building this contender right now because him sitting there right now in the roster is doing nothing for us. Okay. So here's the, uh, <laughs> here's the dumb question, but I think it's something that needs to be put in perspective for kind of everyone involved. Just how big of an upgrade is Deshaun Watson from even, even from the best of what we've seen from Baker Mayfield. Okay. So from the best of them, obviously he's still an upgrade. I would say it's still a significant upgrade in terms of consistency and in terms of reliability. And I think you're going to really see it show up in like two minute drills, ends of halves when it's, you know, chips are on the line, third downs when Baker just continually didn't rise to the occasion. Deshaun has over the course of his career. And now he obviously has to play football in a long time and there might be a little rust, but last time we saw him play football, 
there probably weren't five better quarterbacks in the NFL. So that is a big, big upgrade. And obviously with his contract now, it's like, that's a big upgrade for a decade, you know, a decade plus is the other thing. It's not just a this year decision. It is, that's your guy for the future or something that the Browns really just truthfully have never had, you know, you know, Baker Mayfield felt that he really wasn't used properly necessarily last season and that he should be in kind of a different offense or have different opportunities to do things that showcase his strengths more. Did you see it that way at all? And if so, uh, who would be a good fit for him? Truthfully, last season, I'm not sure what his strengths were. You know, there, there wasn't much in terms of a strength that he put on tape. And now, again, I say throw that out the window to a degree. We've seen him do other things in the past. And he was, you know, year one in a much more vertical system. That was his best. And at Oklahoma, you know, working the seams, working the vertical route tree, that was when he was at his best. And he has a big arm. You know, he has one of the bigger arms in the NFL. He can touch the deeper areas of the field pretty easily. He just is this like one speed thrower. So in that offense where it's like a lot of it was asking him to work the middle of the field, that's not his strength. You know, attacking the linebackers over the middle, he, he throws too many darts that get broken up or if they're errant are, you know, in hands of safety. So I think more of an offense like, you know, what Bruce Arians has run traditionally over the course of, his history, some other offense coordinators around the NFL that really is more of a attack down the field system would be one that fits them now. Fits right now in the NFL, like they said, there's not really anything that comes to mind that's an open job that would fit his strengths, which has kind of been the problem and why he is still on the Browns roster. Okay, so let's shift gears to the draft. And, and I'm curious before we get into the, what the Browns actually can do, before they made this trade and they were sitting there at number 13, who did you kind of like as, as a fit here before they gave up those picks? It was a wide receiver. And that was obviously before the Amari Cooper trade. But even after the Amari Cooper trade, I think they could still use a wide receiver. So some guys like, you know, Garrett Wilson, the Ohio State guys, obviously Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I also really liked Drake London in that offense as well. But I, I do think that wide receiver was the fit and, and truthfully still at a pick 44 could end up being the pick because it is a deep wide receiver class. You know, I had gone to the senior bowl and I really studied and watched the quarterbacks there, especially mm -hmm. Malik Willis. And I, when I got home from the senior bowl, I made the case that the Browns should seriously consider drafting Malik Willis at number 13 overall. Uh, you know, with the idea in mind that perhaps they just bring Baker back and develop Malik for a year. What do, what do you think of Malik Willis? Do you think he would have been worth that pick? And what do you think the upside is for him? Uh, truthfully, I don't think he ends up there anymore. I think he ends up going higher than that. Is he worth going higher than that? I mean, he is about as wild card at the position as it gets. He, he is so... I'd say not far along in his development. Like he's like Josh Allen and kind of invents some in terms of like how he, how, how much you might struggle year one or out the gate in the NFL. Like you said, you would want him ideally sitting behind someone. So I, I always am wary of that. You know, the Josh Allen is an outlier in terms of the history of guys like that in that mold. So uh, he'll go that high because of what happens if you hit, you know, if you get a Josh Allen, what your offense turns into. But I, I just think there's 
other players in this class. And I think you're seeing around the NFL, as you know, as a Browns fan, as a lot of teams now know, as the last two Super Bowl winners now know, you can find quarterbacks. You know, you can go out and trade for Matt Stafford. You can find a Tom Brady. These quarterbacks are on the move more so than ever to where, you know, the sort of wait three years for a first-round pick at quarterback, that's over. If you build a good roster, someone's going to want to come play for you. So we obviously have a, you know, you mentioned the receiver position. We have some that we want to ask you about. One of the guys I wanted to bring up um, was someone I was doing a little research on, you know, kind of this week. Uh, George Pickens is really interesting as a guy coming off an ACL. Uh, I know, I know he played those last few games with Georgia, former five-star. This front office has liked SEC guys who were former five-stars in the past, kind of has that maybe has some of those number one receiver traits. I'm curious what you think of him and and maybe as a possibility at 44. I'm a big fan. I truthfully don't think he ends up to 44. I think he goes higher than that. So if they want to go get him, and I think they're going to be in competition for a lot of teams because he has incredible ball skills. He's dropped two passes his entire collegiate career and he blocks probably better than any wide receiver in the draft class as much as you know blocking is not why you draft wide receivers for a lot of schemes brown scheme what the chiefs do what the packers do who are two wide receiver needy teams at the end of the first round that matters they're going to covet that so yeah he didn't play really this last year he could throw this tape out the window he was not healthy coming back from the acl the few games he did play at the end of the season we go back to sophomore tape and freshman tape and you know no one two years ago was as good as him as a freshman in 2019, 2020, like guys were catching up to him, but he was still pretty damn good. If you just project out one more year of development, if he was healthy, we could have been talking about top 10 pick who's now sliding. So I'm a big fan of his, but like I said, I don't think he ends up making it that far. Well, in keeping with the wide receiver theme here for a little bit, uh, we know for sure that the Browns had in two guys for top 30 visits, two bigger name receivers. Uh, not obviously ones they could have gotten it at 13, but in Traylon Burks and Christian Watson. So my question is about those two guys. Um, do you think they'll be around at number 44? Will you have to climb up to go get either one of those guys? And how would they fit with the Browns? I think there's a chance they could. Uh, both those guys, the evaluations are going to be all over the map for different reasons. For Burks, it's because he is this big physical monster. I think he had the biggest wingspan, even though he's 6'2", he had the biggest wingspan of any wide receiver in this draft. And that's, you know, that's probably more important than pure height is how far you can reach outside of your frame and still pick the ball. So he's got really good ball skills, really big wingspan, 225 pounds. He's just not a complete route runner. He just kind of has not shown that is more of a after the catch guy than he is an actual get open type of wide receiver. So that's, like I said, a like I said, there's going to be various variable evaluations about a guy when that's his profile. Some people are going to love that after catch ability and say, let me just put him in my offense. He doesn't have to run a full route tree. Other people are going to be like, no, I need route runners. That's not my type. So uh, there's a chance he could slide. Watson's, the, Watson's an odd one because elite, elite athlete, but just I mean, probably the best testing numbers of any wide receiver in this draft. But coming from North Dakota State, He's kind of on the skinnier side for a tall wide receiver. There's not, not a great track record for tall and skinny wide receivers once they get to the NFL. And then he has some, he's on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of ball skills. I think he had a, the highest drop rate of any wide receiver in this draft class. So 
some people are going to see that and just probably take them off their board altogether and just say, we don't want, we don't want to risk that. So uh, I do think he, I do think there's a chance he falls to pick 44. I think he'll be on the board. I'd have, if I had a bet, I bet he'd be on the board. Burks, probably not, but I could see him falling to 44. Where do you have Sky Moore right now? Sky Moore to me is a first round grade on the PFF board. He's right behind Chris Olave. I believe he's top 25 player. I just think his skill set translates to the NFL. And I know it came against lesser competition, but he also played Michigan and Penn and Pittsburgh this past year and got open against both. I mean, no one locked this guy down whatsoever. And at that point, you know, I can throw the competition level. I can throw the fact that he went to Western Michigan out the window. He is a separator with, and even though he's, you know, short, he's 5'10 or just shade under 5'10. He's got long arms. He has a big wingspan. He's well-built at 195 pounds. He's bigger than, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams even in terms of just like pure size. And then has big hands and has dropped almost no, I think three or four passes his entire collegiate career. And he has the biggest hands of any wide receiver in this draft class. That's like, that's a good profile to project to the next level. So I know small school wide receivers don't traditionally go in the first round unless they're elite athletes. I think you could break that mold. You guys, in your um, most recent mock draft, I believe you guys have Nick Benito going for the Browns uh, at number 44. So uh, let us know what your thinking is there. Is that how you still feel? And why is that a good choice? Well, they need someone opposite Miles Garrett. And some pass rush. Now, rookie pass rushers are very hit and miss, especially once you get to the second round. That's not where you're immediately going to find it. But... This pass rush class is so deep that I, I think the picker getting at 44 or the guy you'd be getting, like Nick Benito in this case, is someone that in other years, if there aren't as many edge talents as there are in this year's class, would go high. And to me, Benito's the best like pure speed rusher in this class. And so I think you can do a lot with him in your third down packages just from a pure speed perspective. I mean, you ran in the four or fives. You had one of the fastest 10 splits in this class. He is elite in terms of his get off and pushing up field. And that'll play on stunts. That'll play on different games you want to run early out the gate. And we'll give, you know, more, if you're facing a less athletic tackle, he can still win a lot as a rookie. So that's kind of my thinking there is maybe he's not an every down player, but just adding some juice to those third down packages is probably one of the things you're objectively looking at this roster, probably still one of the weaker parts of them. So I've got a two-parter. I want to ask one about Benito, and then I want to ask about one of his teammates as well. Um, is there any concern about his size? Um, and, and does he project to, you know, I know four three three four doesn't matter as much, but but can he be a hand-in-the-dirt guy, edge rusher? You know, the Browns had Jadavian Clowney over there last year. Or is he more kind of that third edge rusher type of guy, at least initially? And, and then I wanted to ask you about Perry and Winfrey, too. No, I, he's not. Truthfully, I don't think he's an every-down player. I would be surprised if he ever, ever gets to be an every down player like to me, but you know, Yannick Ngakwe is not an every down player, right. but plays every down just because, you know, run defense is secondary for a lot of teams to rushing the passer. So that's kind of how I feel about Nick Benio. It's like, you're never really going to get super high in play in that regard, but you can give it up for how much he could potentially affect the passing game. Pierre Winfrey is an interesting guy because he, to me is also kind of, a pass rush first type of defensive tackle like he is he's a lot like uh 
Malik Jackson was truthfully last year and that the super long undersized, you'll get taken off the ball very easily, but he can go toe to toe with offensive tackles and win as a pass rusher and has that kind of juice to get up the football field and be a penetrator. So yeah, if you're like trying to upgrade your run defense in the middle and the Browns probably should after what we saw from them last year, he, he's not the guy, you know, he's not going to do that. But if you look for interior pass rushing help, I think he could uh, be a guy there. How about uh, another name that, that comes to mind if you're talking about an interior defensive line is Logan Hall. Now, when I look at the Browns and I think of them at number 44, their very first pick in this draft, it doesn't say defensive tackle to me. But why would Logan Hall be worth that pick? He's got a unique physical skill set. He is 6'6", 283 pounds, I believe. And so he's got this long combination that it's tough for offensive guards. Like that's what everyone's looking for is that length of the defense stack position that guys like, you know, Chris Jones have that guys like Cameron Hayward have that, you know, helps out on the interior a lot. So he's kind of in that mold of rushers and now going to Houston level competition he faced was not great. He didn't excel at the senior bowl. Like some other guys did there really didn't show up and make himself a ton of money there, but still high-end athlete at that size, still room to grow. And he's a guy who at Houston was like playing defensive tackle when he was 260 pounds and still producing. So like being on the smaller side's kind of always been his thing. So I, I'm not sure it's that big of an issue, but yeah, if you look for run defense help, 280 pound DT, probably not going to be that guy out the gate. Like he's probably going to be a few years, if ever he becomes a real weapon in that regard, still profiles more of a pass rusher. So I want to ask you about the tight end class. Um, and I, I feel like this team is probably at some point in this draft process going to take a tight end. I don't know if it would be at 78, or I don't know if it would be to start off day three at some point, like they did with Harrison Bryan a couple years ago. Who are some tight ends who maybe could be there early day four? I mean, who are the guys the Browns fans should really get to know? Could, could Greg Dulcich last that long, or is he a third-round guy? No, so I think – Trey McBride from Colorado State, Greg Dolchich from uh, UCLA, probably like Jelani Woods, Jeremy Rucker. Those guys will be gone by day three. I, I would I would guess. I think the dream for them would be someone like Jeremy Rucker, who's a heck of an inline blocker, because obviously that's what they covet in that offense. And, you know, with how much they're paying, uh, their tight ends that are already uh, probably profile. You're probably going to want more of a tight end, too in that offense. So him, the other guy is probably Kate Otten is again, run blocking first. That's what, that's what they're going to probably covet if they do go tight end. Cause you've got two kind of receiving first tight ends there to where Kate Otten is a very good run blocker, very versatile run blocker and didn't get to test pre-draft, but he's not a super dynamic athlete. That's going to get drafted highly, but very good ball skills to where, that's your second tight end. You're very happy about it. So that's a guy that I think would be high on their board and wish list at the tight end position. Let's say the Browns decide to go for the gusto and there's somebody that they like that they're going to climb up for either earlier in the second round or in the back end of the first round. Who are they going up for? What are they willing to give up? I think it would be a wide receiver, truthfully, because if you're really – looking around the NFL and seeing what wins and seeing all these teams, whether it's the Bengals, whether it's the Bucks, and like these receiving cores with three plus weapons, taking you 
to the playoffs, to the playoffs, to the Super Bowls, like getting you to the highest of highs. Everyone, it's like an arms race now in the AFC that you have to put up points to go through that gauntlet. So if there is a wide receiver they have their eye on and, you know, you see the Packers and the Chiefs there, the back end of round one, like say it is, you know, Sky Moore, say it is George Pickens, they're back in round one. You know that, you know, four or five wide receivers have gone. You know none of the good ones are going to make it to you. And you know the Chiefs and Packers are sitting right there about to pull the trigger on one. That's who I'd probably lean because – or that's where I'd probably lean them if they are to make a move to trade up because that's, like I said, that's how you take your offense to the next level. That's how you take this team to that sort of unstoppable level that you almost have to get to if you're going to want to beat, you know, Bills, Chiefs, Chargers, all these teams in the AFC in the playoffs, you're going to have to put up points on the board. So I'm kind of addicted to mock draft simulators, and I know you guys Love have that. one. And every time I, I run yours, if I go like with a lineman, with that second, that second round pick, there's always a guy sitting there at 78, speaking of wide receivers, Khalil Shakir. Tell me a little bit about him. And if they don't trade up for a receiver, if they do go defensive lineman, edge rusher or tackle in the second round, if you come away with him at 78, is that possible? And then secondly, I mean, what, what would that mean for them? I think it's very possible. I think that's kind of the range, like the early end of his range is mid third. And they could even see him lasting into the mid fourth is probably where he comes off the board. He's, more likely than not going to be a slot only type of wide receiver at the NFL level on the shorter side, doesn't have particularly long arms and quite literally played the slot last year at Boise state, even if he played outside earlier in his career there at Boise state. So that's who he is. But as a slot route runner, he's among the best in this draft class. Like he can get open. He can be Jarvis Landry's replacement. And, you know, despite coming from a small school could probably be up to speed in the NFL with that ability quickly. Like he's not a guy who's going to have a super steep learning curve that you're going to have to ease in. I think he's played enough football and shown enough on tape that I feel comfortable, like even in the third round, still penciling that guy in as a potential starter in 2021, 2022. What year is it? You know, we keep thinking about receivers or defensive linemen for the Browns at number 44. But is there another position there? Is there another player that comes to your mind that they could surprise everyone and take there? The one that I have thought of for them a good deal, and even when they still have the 13th overall pick, is offensive line, just because of how that team looked when they got banged up last year. Just because you need insurance. I don't care who you are. You need depth along the offensive line. And obviously, cutting J.C. Treader this offseason, they – have already kind of thinned their depth along that front five. So with how well they've done developing offensive linemen, I think they can get one of the better athletes in this class at pick 44, whether it's someone like Abraham Lucas from Washington state or like Bernard Ryman from central Michigan, like they're on the board, a developmental tackle with all the athleticism. Like that's a, that's an investment into your future. That's realizing that, Hey, we made this trade for Deshaun Watson, but our window isn't just this year. Our window is the next three or four years at the very minimum with the team we have. So let's ensure that that is, you know, that this Texans office line is not, or excuse me, this Browns office line is not going to ever look like the Texans office line that you had to play behind. So I think that's one position where, depending on how things shake out, I could see them going, despite it not necessarily being a need on paper. Mm-hmm. 
So there's one other guy I want to ask you about. Um, and I feel like he's sort of a late day two draft crush for a lot of people. And that's Josh Pascal. Um, so again, if the Browns went receiver at 44 and he's sitting there at 78, it, it just feels like a lot of people really like him, even though he's not like mm-hmm. in that top group of edge rushers. So, so what do you think of him? I'm a big fan. I'd put him towards the top group, truthfully. Okay. I think he's a, the final draft. The draft board's getting finalized right now, but he's somewhere in the early 40s in the PFF draft board. Um, so I see him as top 50 player. And he kind of got screwed from like an evaluation purpose or like an evaluation angle by where he played last year. He was, he, he was like a three technique. He was playing over, he was playing at nose tackle and pass rushing downs. Like they put him anywhere. And the fact that he even still graded out remotely well is insane because I mean, he's six two two seventy. He's not a defensive tackle. He is a edge guy through and through. And so I think he could be one of the best edge setters in this class because of that build where it's like, when you're that built lower the earth, it's very reminiscent of like a Brandon Graham where just it's tough for offense tackles, the six, seven offense tackle to get under a guy who's five inches shorter than them, but still has fairly long arms. So I, I think he's going to be a productive NFL player, maybe not a high end pass rusher, but you know, if you're looking for a guy who can be just an every down right out the gate, I think he's probably one of the few in this draft class I'd trust to do that. Who are two or three, maybe other, uh, defensive end pass rushers, even if they do sign Jadavian, they still need another mm-hmm. pass rusher over there. Who are two or three others that could be there at number 44 that catch your eye? The couple guys that I really like in that, really like in that range are Drake Jackson from USC because he's, a, he's an interesting guy because he's still young, only a true junior, whereas a lot of these guys in this class are redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, you know, with COVID, a lot of guys came back, and so it's an old class kind of on the whole, but he's a true junior, and he got sick, I believe, before uh, this past year, lost like 20 pounds, looked like really skinny on tape, not a power player whatsoever, but then as pro day, he comes in at 273 pounds and tests it out really well, so like, can this guy ascend physically similar to kind of like a Joe Tryon show Yinka, who, you know, was last time we saw him play, you know, Joe Tryon was like in the two fifties and then shows up to the Tampa Bay Bucks and he's like 270 pounds. And it's just a different player altogether. I think that could be a Drake Jackson. We just don't know where this guy could go physically because he has the long lanky edge build that tends to win. It's just did not play physically on tape. So he's one guy. And then the other one is Arnold Ebiketti from Penn state. Very productive. Was it went to temple for three years, transferred super productive at temple as like a pass rusher transfers to Penn State, and then actually is even more productive against Power 5 competition, dominated this past year. Another guy who's like on the shorter side but still has long arms, explosive jumps at combine in his pro day, get off the ball, and can be kind of your every-down player, even if he may be a little capped out. Like I said, he's on the older side. He's 23 years old. We'll turn 24 towards the end of his rookie season. So those are two guys who could make a lot of sense and there's a lot of guys that can make a lot of sense of 44 in the edge. That's why I kind of mocked a bunch of guys there too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have to ask this because Browns fans will get angry at me if I don't. And I don't know how much work you do on this position, but Browns fans really want this team to draft a kicker. <laughs> if you don't have a great answer for me, that's fine. But where should this team look for a kicker? I have not even looked at the kickers <laughs> yet. 
I will do that the week before the draft. And then I'll have my take on it, you know, day three when they come off the board. But I haven't even truthfully looked at it. We don't put kickers in the draft guide. We probably should, but it's just like there's only so much time in the day to work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we have don't, not put any kickers in. Sorry. I, I, I don't blame you. Like I said, Browns fans, though, would go crazy if we didn't at least ask of, about kickers in the draft. It's, it's the obsession this year. <laughs> One more receiver I wanted to ask you about is, is John Mechie. What, what are your thoughts on him? And uh, what about him? It, it would be an all, all Alabama receiving core there. Um, but what are your thoughts on him and would he be there at number 44? Do you like him there? He's kind of the forgotten man in this draft class, obviously, because he tore his ACL in the SEC championship game, but he's a very good route runner. So, and I think he's got a little more size and physicality to him than he's been given credit for. Cause a lot of people remember him, you know, two years ago, 2020, when he was second fiddle to Devontae Smith and he was a super skinny guy. And I think he put on about 10 pounds over the offseason and broke a ton more tackles this past year, started being more productive. They started throwing him in the screens this past year. And so I'm still a fan of his. Obviously, the ACL throws a wrench into how he's going to develop and when he's actually going to come back on a timetable on him. But you can promise me a clean bill of health. This guy probably would have been a second-round pick on the PFF board in terms of valuation to where I think he he's not going to be your maybe outside pure you know, number one type of wide receiver, but he's a high, I think he'd be a high end number two type of wide receiver that can get off the line of scrimmage that can run a full route tree, but just maybe a little athletically limited, not the high end athlete of some of the other guys in this class. Okay, Mike, before we let you go, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about Hutch? So we did a four part podcast series with Aiden Hutchinson, hopefully the number one pick It won't fall past number two just about how he broke out into this insane senior season and turned around the faith of Michigan franchise. Talked to Jim Harbaugh, everyone basically around the Michigan program. That's uh, anyone that had interacted with him just to go deep into, you know, who this guy is and how incredible his story turnaround is from breaking his leg as a junior, being this fringe first round prospect to now that I'm one overall pick is uh, very interesting. I've listed all four parts. Very, uh, it's not, it goes by pretty fast, but uh yeah, so that's the Hutch Project. You can find it anywhere you find your podcast. All right, great. And, uh, a lot of Browns fans in Ohio State crossover, so they got to uh, they got an up close look at just how good Aiden Hutchinson was in that snowy game at uh, at the Big House. Yeah, that one that was like what put him on the map, right? That was when people were like, "Oh, okay, this guy it could be the number one overall pick." You know, this guy could be that guy because you know Ohio State has you know Nicholas Petit Frere is an NFL draft pick, probably going to go on day two. You have Dewan Jones, the guy on the other side who dominated, is a big monster that's probably going to be drafted at some point. And those were real tackles that he was just clowning all day long. All right, Mike, you know what? Uh, I just want to say real quick that, you know, you kind of kidded that, you know, the luster is a little bit off because the Browns don't have a first-round pick this year. Well, when we have you on next year and the year after that, they're still not (laughs) going to have a first-round pick, but we would still love to have you back. (laughs) <laughs> for sure I would love to come back and I think I think with the quarterback you would prefer it this way after how the drafts have gone in years past so <laughs> yeah for sure again it's, it's called Hutch anywhere you listen to your podcast and on PFF's YouTube channel uh, you can check that out Mike Renner is a pro football focuses lead draft analyst Mike thanks for the time for sure thanks for having me on
Thanks, Mike. And again, thank you to Mike Renner, PFF's lead draft analyst. Again, please go find Hutch. It's anywhere you listen to podcasts and on PFF's YouTube channel. It is a special project centered around projected number one overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, out of Michigan that dives into his childhood, early years at Michigan, and his incredible 2021 season. Again, that's called Hutch. This has been the Orange and Brown Talk podcast for Mary Kay Cabot. I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.